for the first time in 5,852 days, playoff baseball was back in the city of San Diego. And further, Padres fans had never seen a home playoff victory since Petco Park was built in 2004. Of course, the Padres did make the playoffs in the 2020 season, and they did make an epic comeback against the St. Louis Cardinals. But instead of the raucous crowd of Petco Park, there was a stadium full of cardboard cutouts. This time, the Dodgers won't be as lucky. They would be subjected to the full force of a fan base that was as passionate as they had ever been. Padres fans had been waiting 16 years and 8 days to cheer for their team in the postseason. Game 3 was a perfect storm for fans. A home playoff game on a Friday night with all the sports world watching San Diego. This was the time to show the sports world what Padres fans are capable of. On the field, the Padres were once again going to be going to battle against a really good team. A really good team, but not an unbeatable team as the Padres showed with a Game 2 win. The pressure was rising and Petco Park was the site for all the action. In my short radio career of just eight years, I've been able to do a lot of cool stuff. I was able to see the Padres celebrate clinching a playoff spot. I've been to a couple Super Bowl radio rows. I was in Cooperstown for Trevor Hoffman's Hall of Fame induction, not to mention all of the spring trainings I've been to. But so far in my short career, the day of Game 3 will always be something I remember. That day, Tony Gwynn Jr., Chris Ello, and myself met before the show in the loft at Petco Park. This was a lot earlier in the day, so fans were not allowed in yet, but you could feel the energy in the air. The anticipation and nervous energy flowed through downtown San Diego. As I walked into Petco Park, I saw all of the new decorations and banners hung, and on one of the sky bridges, a banner said MLB Postseason 2022. Petco Park employees were busy doing their thing, trying to get everything they could ready for what was already feeling like a really crazy night. You know how sometimes things don't really hit you until after? Well, I was hit right in the face with the feeling of the Major League Baseball playoffs. We started the show from the loft and there was no one in there just yet. The park had not opened. Petco Park was empty, but it was a small city getting up for their big parade. As we went through the show, it seemed like Padres fans were multiplying by the minute. And as the crowd got bigger, so did the energy. It was infectious. The Padre to Dodger fan ratio was, I guess, around 95% Padres fans, unofficially. Chris and I had never seen so many Padres fans at a Padres-Dodgers game before. By the end of the show, we couldn't even walk five feet without being stuck in the crowd. I'll tag in Padres radio broadcasters Jesse Agler and Tony Gwynn Jr. I asked them for their thoughts on the atmosphere of Game 3. I mean, the place was a zoo. You know, the, the cool thing was we had been to New York and we had been to L.A., yeah, yeah. the two biggest cities in the country, the two biggest markets in the countries, you know, two of the, the rowdiest fan bases in the country. And then, uh, you know, we, we pull up here for Game 3 at Petco and it was louder than either one of those places ever got. Like, before the game started, it was louder than either one of those places ever got. And um, I, I think everybody in the building immediately knew probably before the game ever began, that this was going to be a very, very special atmosphere. Yeah, uh, I, I second that. Uh, that was the probably the thing that surprised me the most was how much louder it was here versus New York versus L.A. And listen, we had, we had been kind of been a part of what was a loud, raucous crowd during the regular season, but there was like a consistent like buzz 
that you could like literally feel that night. Blake Snell was set to make his second postseason start for the Padres. His first against the Mets in Game 2 did not go the Padres' way. This time, he was at home, and the home crowd was going to have his back. On the other side, the Dodgers were going to start Tony Gonsolin. Gonsolin's season was one of the best in baseball, but was ended by a right forearm strain at the end of August. Going into his last start before the IL stint, he had a record of 16-1 with a 2.10 ERA. Gonsolin was doing it all season long, but after he was activated off the IL, he had missed all of September. His last start was two innings against the Rockies 11 days prior. There was no telling which Tony Gonsolin would show up. The steady 16-game winner or a Tony Gonsolin who had not pitched more than two innings in 52 days. Game time was finally upon us. I found my seat, got my rally towel, and started waving it in the air just like 40,000-plus other Padres fans. All you could see is a bunch of golden towels waving in the crowd. All you could hear is, let's go Padres chants. The last few minutes before first pitch seemed like it took an hour, but finally it was time. Take it away, Jesse Adler. And here tonight, boy, does this feel special. Mookie Betts will lead off against Blake Snell. Right-handed hitter. Left-handed pitcher. Blake will deal. Away we go. And a first pitch fastball at 98 miles an hour. A little bit up top. And one ball and no strikes to Mookie Betts, who has seen Blake Snell more than any other Dodger hitter. Mookie Betts would be aggressive and single on the third pitch of the at-bat. One thing everyone knew heading into that game, the Dodgers had a lineup that made you work for each and every pitch. Trey Turner had already made his mark on the series in the first two games by homering to left in Game 1 and Game 2. So there was a slightly nervous energy going around Petco Park. 2-2 two two again to Trey Turner. Betts not running. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. Got him to reach for that fastball again. First strikeout of the night for Blake Snell. One away in the top of the first. 96 running off of the outside corner away from Trey Turner. A huge strikeout. Padres fans were feeling like they had the Snellzilla who was an ace. A Snellzilla that won a Cy Young. A Snellzilla that dominated the Dodgers in the 2020 World Series. A strikeout of Trey Turner was massive for his confidence. Mookie Betts was still on first, and Snell had to face Freddie Freeman. Lots of work to be done to end the inning, and there was lots of work to be done to end the threat. And this would only make things more tense. Gold rally towels are at, and they are spinning here at Petco Park. 0-2 to Freddie Freeman. Betts not running. The pitch bounces in front of home plate, kicks away from Nola, rolls up the third baseline, and Betts will advance to second. Didn't need to steal. He'll put himself in scoring position thanks to that wild pitch. And there goes any hopes of a ground ball double play with Freeman at the plate. Yeah, Blake spikes this slider. Nola did everything he could to keep this ball in front, but it trickled down the third baseline. That allowed Betts to move up 90 feet. A runner in scoring position for the Dodgers with Freddie Freeman at the plate. Lefty on lefty, and Snell delivered his pitch. Two and two. Freeman takes on the outside corner at 98. Strike three call. Back-to-back Ks. And now two down in the top of the first inning. Paint on the outside corner. Just a great display of how you have to work for Eddie. Fastball away, fastball in, slider down and away, and then spots up the 98-mile-per-hour heater on the outside corner for strike three. Two outs and two strikeouts. Snellzilla was feeling it early, but there still was the dangerous Mookie Betts on second with a dangerous hitter in Will Smith coming to the plate. One and two to Smith. 
Snell a look back at Betts, modest lead at second. Here's the pitch, check swing on a ball down, they appeal, he went, and the side is retired. Three straight strikeouts for Blake Snell after the lead single by Betts. Snell struck out the side and kept the Dodgers off the board. The weight was lifted from Padres fans and each inning felt like a new battle all on its own. I briefly touched on Tony Gonsolin just a few minutes ago, but here's Jesse Agler and Tony Gwynn Jr. setting the scene. The Dodger manager, Dave Roberts, said before the game he would guess somewhere between two and four innings for Gonsolin. Now, of course, he was a traditional starter earlier in the year, but he's been dealing with a right forearm strain, and he did not pitch much down the stretch for the Dodgers, and so they can't ask too much of him here tonight. Now, they feel like they're prepared to handle that, They've got the left-hander Heaney available for bulk innings if necessary. They've got Dustin May available for probably a shorter burst out of the bullpen. But this is not necessarily the Tony Gonsolin who went 16-1 with a 2.14 ERA in the regular year. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know what type of action, what type of look he's going to give. I think his Lead-off man Jerks and Profar would pop out to short, then Juan Soto found some power. Game. Two balls and no strikes. Here's the pitch. Soto swings, hammers one into right field. That's a base hit. Maybe extra base is going to roll to the wall. Betts couldn't cut it off. Soto into second base. He will stand there with a one-out double. Right now it's a mistake to leave a ball anywhere middle in to Juan Soto. Manny Machado was next, and he worked a 2-2 count en route to a six-pitch walk. Runners on first and second with only one out. Josh Bell had his home run in game one, but struggled to get it going since. He would force Gonsolin to throw six pitches, but would end up popping out to third base for the second out of the inning. The chatter and feeling in the stands was all about the Padres taking advantage when they can. Padres fans knew the base traffic the Padres had in this inning could be it, so they needed to strike now. Jake Cronenworth got a big hit in game two and made Gonsolin work and on Gonsolin's 27th pitch of the inning. Gonsolin set. There they go. And the pitch is reached for, lined into center field. That's going to get down for a base hit. Thompson plays it on one hop. Soto into score. Manny stops at third. An RBI single, Jake Cronenworth, and a 1-0 Padre lead in the first. A beautiful job executing there by Jake Cronenworth. We had just talked about trying to get that split up in the zone. 3-2 pitch out of Gonsolin's hand. He did just that. Left the split up. Cronenworth a tad bit out in front, but hits it on the line. The Padres take an early 1-0 lead. The Padres took the lead, and the Padres were looking for more. A wild pitch moved Jake Cronenworth to second, and Tony Gonsolin's rust led him to a long inning. 30 pitches now for Tony Gonsolin here in the first inning. One and two to Will. Here it comes. Meyer swings and misses strike three. Went reaching for a slider that ran away from him. That'll bring the first inning to a close, but not before the Padres do some damage. A run on a couple of hits. Leaving runners stranded is something that will make you lose games in the playoffs. But if we come from a more positive perspective, making Tony Gonsolin pitch a 30-pitch half inning was good enough to take as momentum to the top of the second. Snellzilla would use that to sit down Max Muncy, Justin Turner, and Chris Taylor on 14 pitches. And Tony Gonsolin would have very little rest after working a tough bottom of the first. The Padres had no interest helping him out. Kim would pop out to second after seven pitches, then... 0-1 pitch, Trent hits it hard and off the bag at first base to flex out into the air. It'll be fielded by Muncie in shallow right. He's got no play. Grisham reaches on a base hit 
as the ball deflected And it's hard to understate the impact Trent Grisham had on this team in those first two playoff series. The same went for Austin Nola. 1-0 Padres, bottom of the second. Here's the pitch. Nola hits it well in the air to deep left field. Taylor's racing back. Going to be over his head. Going to be off the wall. Grisham had to wait and see. He's going to go around to third base. And a strong throw into Muncie will keep Nola at first. Either way, a rocket off the bat of Austin Nola. And with one out here in the second inning already leading one to nothing, the Padres have runners on the corners and the top of the order coming up. That's going to do it for Gosselin. 104 off the bat of Gonsolin would have a night to forget after going an inning and a third, giving up four hits, one run, and striking out one. The Dodgers, I don't really think, thought Gonsolin was going to go seven innings. But I also don't really think they thought they would have to go to the bullpen four outs in. Dodgers pitcher Andrew Heaney would relieve Gonsolin, and he would have to try and eat some innings for Dave Roberts. He would inherit a situation with runners on first and third and only one out. I can still remember this being the first time in the game where the stadium was louder than I had ever heard it. All of the fans were standing and cheering throughout the game, but this was the first big moment, and we were making our presence felt with the first BLA chance heard around Petco Park. Padres with a golden opportunity here to grab another run. What we expect to be a tight ball game. Nola at first, Grisham at third, one away. one nothing. San Diego in the second. First pitch coming. Profar tried to bunt. It either hit him, picked up in fair ground by Barnes, who tags him out. I was about to say it either hit him or the bat. Apparently the bat, at least according to the plate umpire, Mark Carlson. And for now, Profar is out. Two down. Soto coming up. The call did stand, and that was a brutal blow to the crowd. A good idea with the squeeze play, but the execution was less than ideal. With runners still on second and third, Soto would pop out to end the bottom of the second, and the crowd was stunned. The game was only two innings in, and there had been plenty of base traffic. Outside of the Padres run in the first, defense and clutch pitching had been the story thus far. Snellzilla would start the top of the third with his Achilles heel at times, walking batters. Trace Thompson would walk to lead it off. Austin Barnes singled to right, but Thompson was only able to advance to second. Two on, no outs for Snell. He was heading towards walking the bases loaded, but once again, Manny Machado showed why he is a black hole at third base. And a pitch on the way to Betts. Mookie swings, hits it hard, caught by Manny at third, throw back to second base. Oh, not in time. Really, really close. Nearly doubled up Trace Thompson. And for the second time in the last few minutes, Bob Melvin going to turn around and wait to hear from his clubhouse if he should challenge this one. In real time, I thought he got him at second base, but we'll wait and see. Then, as Snell worked his third three-ball count of the half inning and fans on their feet in anxiety rising. Payoff pitch coming. Turner takes at the knees. Strike three called. 97-mile-an-hour fastball. Turner thought it was ball four. It was not. Six strikeouts for Blake Snell. The top of the third was far from over, even though there were two outs. Freddie Freeman would bat next, and Snell would be ultra-careful, trying to go nowhere near the middle of the zone. In the end, Freeman would walk on five pitches, and the bases were now loaded. Catcher Will Smith had a golden opportunity to flex the Dodgers' muscles. He would find himself in an 0-2 hole after two straight fastballs. He fouled off the third fastball at 97 miles an hour, and then Snell would throw another 97 mile an hour fastball, but it was high and outside for the first ball of the at-bat. And on the 28th pitch of the inning, bases loaded, two down, one and two to Smith. 
Blake out of the stretch will deal, and the pitch is popped up. Up the first baseline, Myers comes charging in into foul ground, reaching up. He'll make the catch, and the inning is over. No runs, a hit, and the Dodgers leave them loaded. Blake Snell and the Padres would exit the half inning without a scratch. Pitching started to take over the game in the bottom of the third, although Heaney did walk Manny Machado to lead off the inning. However, Josh Bell would trade spots with Machado by grounding into a fielder's choice that cut down the lead runner in Machado at second. Jake Cronenworth would once again get a hit and put two runners on and one out. Heaney would bear down and strike out both Will Myers and Hassan Kim to end the threat. Top of the fourth was the best one for Blake Snell yet. He was able to retire the side in just nine pitches with Max Muncie and Chris Taylor seeing only one pitch each. A quick and efficient 1-2-3 for Snellzilla. One thing established early in this game would be the Padres putting all sorts of pressure on Dodgers pitching. In the bottom of the first, they would get three runners on and score a run. In the bottom of the second, they would have two runners on second and third. The bottom of the third also saw two runners on. And in the bottom of the fourth. First pitch coming, Grisham swings, hits it in the air. Deep right field, forget it! Trent Grisham, gonna go! Number two is locked in at the plate. Continues to pay dividends to Bob Melvin and his ball club for sticking with him. When things got tough, he's just giving the Padres a 2-0 lead. Trent Grisham's magic had not yet run out, and he had just hit his third home run of the postseason. Grisham coming alive came out of nowhere for Padres fans. The 7-8-9 hitters were doing something historic in these playoffs, and one of my favorite stats from after Game 3 was a doozy. The Padres' 7-8-9 hitters were hitting 345 with a 1.038 OPS and three home runs over six postseason games. For context, the 7-8-9 hitters for the other five playoff teams up to that point were batting only 176 with a .527 OPS and six homers. The Padres had an aspect of their offense clicking on all cylinders while the rest of the league was looking up at them. The score was 2-0, and Petco Park was insane. I couldn't even hear myself talk. I felt a wave of energy roll through the section. No, not a proverbial wave, like a real wave. Petco Park was so insane, the stands were bouncing up and down like an earthquake. There was no earthquake, just the remnants of Trent Grisham furthering his historic postseason. Dave Roberts stuck with Andrew Heaney, and the very next batter, Austin Nola, would single to center after working a full count. Runners seemed to constantly be on base for the Padres, and at that point, everyone felt this game was going to be decided by one or two runs. With Nola on first, Profar popped out to first baseman Freddie Freeman. Juan Soto flied out to left, but Manny Machado converted a full count into a walk, which moved Nola to second. Once again, the Padres were threatening with a runner in scoring position. Josh Bell would stroll to the plate, and he would try and find the magic he found when he homered off Max Scherzer in the first game of Game 1 of the wildcard series. Runners take their leads, and a pitch swung on and missed. Bell chased a fastball up out of the zone. That is strike three and the end of the inning. This time, Heaney would get the out he needed to keep his team within reach. After a 1-2-3 top of the fourth for Snellzilla, things would get a little sketchy for Blake Snell. Trace Thompson singled to right to start the inning. Austin Barnes would double to left, moving Thompson to third, and the anxiety could not feel any thicker in the stands. Why? One of the last hitters fans wanted to see was at the plate for the Dodgers, Mookie Betts. Second and third, nobody out for Mookie Betts. Blake will deliver, and first pitch hit in the air to right field, pretty well struck. Soto racing back, still going back, backpedaling onto the warning track, he makes the catch. 
Plenty deep for both runners to advance. Trace Thompson will tag and score. A sack fly to the opposite field for Mookie Betts. The Dodgers are on the board. It's 2-1 here in the fifth inning, and they got a guy on third base again. There was only one out, and Austin Barnes was now at third base with the lead only at one for the Padres. Blake Snell was going to have to work his magic to get out of the inning without allowing the Dodgers to tie the game. He faced Trey Turner. Snell is ready. And now the pitch to Turner is swung on and popped up near third base. Manny charging in, coming down the line. Nola going out into foul ground. They collide, and Manny makes the catch right near the Dodger on deck circle. And then the lefty-on-lefty matchup with Freddie Freeman. Freeman 0 for 1. First pitch coming in a ground ball sharply right at Manny. Machado's got it. Pats it in the glove. Throw to first in time. And the side is retired. Snell gets through five, and the Dodgers, who had runners on second and third, nobody out, get just the one run. Snellzilla was coming through for the Padres in a huge way. He got them out of the inning and stranded Barnes at third, all while holding on to the lead. This was vintage Cy Young Blake Snell, and he appeared for game three. Dave Roberts would let Andrew Heaney see one last batter to maximize the matchup. The lefty Heaney against the lefty Cronenworth. After working a full count, Heaney would win this battle after Cronenworth had won some others earlier in the game. That would be the last batter for Heaney, and he would depart after having saved the Dodgers from the mess of their starter only lasting four outs. Heaney ended up going three innings, striking out four, and only gave up the solo home run to Trent Grisham. If the Dodgers were to come back and win this game, Andrew Heaney would get a ton of credit. Right-handed reliever Yancy Almani entered the game to face two right-handed hitters for the Padres in Will Myers and Hassan Kim. And just like the bottom of the third, the bottom of the fifth would end the same way with both Will Myers and Kim striking out to end the fifth. Bob Melvin had Blake Snell run back out for the top of the sixth. He faced Will Smith and got him to fly out to center. Then... The enemy, Max Muncie, would chase Snell from the game. With a one-run lead and a runner in scoring position for the Dodgers, Bob Melvin would elect to play the matchup game and go from the lefty Blake Snell to our right-handed Swiss Army knife, Nick Martinez. But before we resume, we have to stop to recognize how well Blake Snell pitched. He went five and a third, he allowed five hits, but only one earned run, and he kept his walks to a minimum with two while striking out six. Blake Snell exited the game by putting the Padres in a spot with the lead and a really good chance to win. At times, his mechanics weren't great. He wasn't throwing the ball where he wanted to, but it was still explosive and they weren't hitting him. You know, we still had some game to cover. He still looked like his stuff was good. And, you know, this this, this is probably as well as he's battled all year to get a win like this and, you know, throwing a lot of pitches. These games sometimes get away from him a little bit. He wouldn't allow that to happen. Ended up pitching well enough to win and the bullpen took over. Nick Martinez would make Bowmel look good by striking out Justin Turner. And then Martinez will fire. And first pitch, little topper up the third baseline. Martinez going to pick it up with the bare hand. Throw to first base in time. And the inning is over. Nick Martinez comes out of the bullpen and takes care of business. Muncy was at second. He'll stay right there. And we go to the bottom of the sixth. Padres. There is not a lot better for Padres fans than seeing Max Muncy stranded at second base, which is exactly what he was. In the bottom of the sixth, Alex Vessia would pitch for the Dodgers, but struggled with his command. After securing the first out after a Grisham pop-out, he walked Austin Nola and walked Jerks in Profar. The Padres were threatening again. Runners on first and second with one out and Juan Soto at the plate. Profar at first, Nola at second. First pitch on the way. Soto swings, hits it in the air. Left center field pretty well struck. Thompson drifting back. 
feeling for the wall, and on the warning track, he makes the catch. Throw will go into second base as the lead runner, Nola, tags second to third. So two outs now, runners on the corner. The Padres crowd groaned with anxiety after that out. They knew the Dodgers were capable of putting up as many runs as they wanted at times. Every single run would count. And every single time a runner is stranded, the anxiety belt would tighten a little more. Dave Roberts would make a move after Vessia was wild. Roberts called up Evan Phillips and he would have to face Manny Machado with two men on base. Another prime opportunity to extend the lead was dashed and Padres pitching would have more than their share of responsibility if the Padres were to win this game. It's the top of the seventh and you can feel the crowd realizing as each inning ticks away. Their Padres would be one step closer to a Game 3 win and a 2-1 series lead with one more game at Petco Park the following night. Luis Garcia was going to be the one tasked with keeping the Dodgers off the board. Garcia struck out Thompson with nothing but sliders and sinkers. Then he struck Gavin Lux out looking for the second out on six pitches, all sinkers, and four of those six reaching over 100 miles an hour. You want to know how pumped up Luis Garcia was? His hardest thrown pitch of the at-bat was clocked at 101 miles an hour. During the regular season, his sinker averaged 98.4 miles an hour, nearly three miles per hour extra on that pitch. If that doesn't prove how much adrenaline is running through these guys, I don't really know what will. To end the 1-2-3 inning, Garcia would force Mookie Betts to line out to center and the Padres needed only six more outs to take game three. The bottom of the seventh saw Josh Bell, Jake Cronenworth, and Will Myers go down in order by Evan Phillips. This is when the real nerves hit all of us fans in the stands. No one wanted to say anything for fear of being the one who created a jinx that would turn the game. All fans were doing were screaming and standing, and from here on out, you would not be sitting down. The high-octane flame-throwing setup man Robert Suarez entered the game for the Padres, and he would have to face the meat of the Dodgers' order. Trey Turner would lead off the top of the eighth with an infield single. Then Freddie Freeman flew out to center for the first out. Will Smith would pop out to second for the second out. And with Trey Turner still on first, Robert Suarez faced Max Muncie. Oh, and two to Muncie. Suarez ready. Here's the pitch. Muncie swings and misses strike three. 100-mile-an-hour fastball. And that's all she wrote for the Dodgers in the eighth. A leadoff single, Trey Turner never makes it beyond first base. A successful we'll trip the from the bullpen the for Suarez, and the Padres had the upper hand in this chess match. Tommy Canely would pitch the bottom of the eighth for the Dodgers, and he would dispatch Kim Grisham and Nola with ease. Setting up the final three outs of the game, and Padres closer Josh Hader was going to be the man to do it. Josh Hader had been used sparingly during the postseason. Both games the Padres won against the Mets were lopsided scores with no save opportunity. Hader saved game two and now would try and navigate the Padres to a 2-1 series lead. Justin Turner led off for the Dodgers. Here's the 0-2 from Hader. Swing and a pop-up out to shallow left field. Manny calling for it. Kim gives him space into foul ground. Machado is there. He makes the catch one away. Fans were ready to explode in celebration. And with a win right on the horizon, BLA chants were getting loud. Hater faced Chris Taylor and would force a 2-2 count. Here's the 2-2. Taylor swings and misses strike three. Change up, pumping heaters at 99 to 100. Then drops the 93 mile per hour change up down and away. And Josh Hader would throw six 
straight sinkers to Trace Thompson with the final one going like this. Hater set and ready. Everybody's standing at Petco now. The 3-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. Josh Hader strikes out Trace Thompson. And goosebumps at Petco Park. Padres edge the Dodgers 2-1 in game three. And tomorrow night, they will put the ball into the right hand of Joe Musgrove with an opportunity to win this series and advance to the NLCS. Just good baseball once again from this Padre ball club. He's been a theme all playoff long. Terrific pitching performance from Blake Snell. The bullpen continues their groove, and the Padres will have a chance to advance to the NLCS. Petco Park erupted in celebration. High fives, hugs, jumping up and down were all seen around every inch of the park. It didn't matter if you knew the person next to you or not, you would be celebrating with them. Here's the reaction around me in the stands when the Padres recorded that final out. It seemed like on that night, Padres fans came together as one. Here's Tony with a summation of the game. That was a pretty straightforward game. Padres got their runs relatively early, and then, as I said, it was basically a – it was actually a, a, a five in a third inning game, right? Because Blake went five in a third. Nick comes in. Martinez comes in after. Garcia, Suarez, Hayter, nothing. And that was, that, was, that was game three. I know about the past, the 1998 team, the 1984 team, but taking a one-game series lead over the 111-win rival Dodgers could not be beat. That was until the next night. As we all left the stadium, the party was just continuing outside. There was a euphoria traveling around downtown San Diego, and any Padres fan in its path would instantly be taken over by it. That Friday night would be a night not many people would ever forget. And if you were lucky enough to go to Game 4, you would see an even bigger show. And some say you may even see a Dragon Slayer, but that's going to have to wait until Episode 7. Final totals, the Padres scored two runs on seven hits. They did not have an error. The Dodgers scored one run on six hits with no errors. Blake Snell got the win. Tony Gonsolin takes the loss. Josh Hader picks up his second save of the postseason. 12 games in October is a 97.3 The Fan original podcast for Odyssey. It was produced, voiced, edited, and written by me, Matt Scraby. Thanks to Adam Klug and Michael Valenzuela for helping to make this happen. Thanks to Tony Wood Jr. and Jesse Agler for talking with me in depth about the NLDS series. You can find me on social media at Matt Scraby. Please make sure to rate, review, and tell a friend. All you need to do is tell them to search 12 games in October in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.